0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Strategy Cast. My name is Dale O'Donnell, your host, and I'm delighted again to be joined by Sean Connolly. Sean, since we last spoke, how's everything with you and? What have you been reading about when it comes to Manchester United? Or should I say, what have you been tweeting about when it comes to treads?
1: I suppose what I've been tweeting. I've been trying to uh, tweet about Barcelona's financial predicament and the various different ways that they've been putting together to sign players left, right and centre while being nearly a billion in debt. So, yeah, just trying to keep up to speed of what's going on.
0: (laughs) That's why on this podcast we jumped it up to kind of two different segments, myself and Sean. We'll spend the first segment speaking about matters relating to Manchester United, as we always do. And in the second segment, we have a special guest in Alan Feely, who joins from Football Espana. He's the editor of that site, which is basically a site on all matters, La Liga, written in English. Um, Alan's an Irish man living in Spain and co- covers a number of different clubs, so he. he He's very, very close to the ground when it comes to Barcelona. So we speak about some of the details there, the financial situation that they find themselves in, and, of course, the young. Um, But, Sean, want to speak to you about a few matters. Obviously, on the podcast, we've been kind of dealing heavily with, with pre-season. Um, but something that's popped up before we start, start recording tonight is Jesse Lingard has completed his move to Nottingham Forest on a one-year deal. Now, that deal does not include the option for an additional year so he'll be a free agent again in 12 months time and and open to another big contract I'm sure this contract is a 200,000 per week deal which is huge for a newly promoted team Like I can't imagine that's ever been done before and um, it's quite a surprise isn't it because prior to his exit or the expiry of his Manchester United contract Jesse Lingard and his with a lot of help from his brother Louis Scott, were making it very, very clear that they had such a fucking awesome time at West Ham and that they were nearly doing everything to signal that they wanted to go back to London um, and go back to where he spent half a season alone and, and really impressed in their bid to, to push for a place in the Europa League. But he hasn't gone there. In fact, Sean, he's rejected a move to the Hammers... Um, he won't be quite blowing bubbles, will he?
1: And when you've got an individual who was represented basically by part and principle from his brother, who was so very, very clear that he wanted to... It re- kind of shows an awful lot about the character of the man who was willing to turn down the club that took him in and gave him a new lease of life, particularly when, his man, when uh, David Moyes was, was coming out today, being very, very vocal and how much he admired Jesse and wanted him to turn, and they had made an offer for him to return only for him to turn his nose up at it, uh, the prospect of a one-year deal. And essentially, it looks like it's he's following money. You would imagine the same role as he had when he was on loan there, which was a free role to enjoy his football and to be heavily involved in what West Ham were doing going forward. Two entirely different football clubs. Obviously, historically, Forrest are a huge team. And obviously, with Dean Henderson is after going there on loan. But... It, it's kind of bizarre that he would turn his nose up at a side pursuing the prospect of breaking into Europe. And let's be honest about it, had they not had fallen foul to maybe a slight little lack of squad depth at the last at the end of the last season, they would and should have pipped us for European football as well. So it's a strange one, and I think it really just typifies his personality.
0: Just play kind of maybe the card what Jesse Lingard is doing here. Obviously, he's going there. The contract really suits him. He's going to get two hundred thousand pound a week. He is only there for twelve months. That opens the door to in, in in another summer. He's going to have the option to speak to any club he wants again. He's going to have the option to get that big sign-on bonus again. His agents are going to be p- well paid again. You know, it it it's all very much in his terms. And I wonder is that why he didn't end up at West Ham because they wouldn't have given a deal like that. Not a whole
1: If you go across what's been reported, West Ham offered him a three-year contract or at least a three-year co- contract with the option for an additional year. Hmm. He was looking in around £180,000 and it's believed West Ham offered somewhere in the region of £150,000 to £160,000 a week over the course of three years guaranteed with an additional year. So it's not like that's small money.
0: No, it, it, No, it's not. But what I'm saying is all parties considered would rather get these sign-on fees every year. And if Jesse Lingard get that one-year deal, which he's done, like I'm looking at this deal with Nottingham Forest, and I think they've had their pants pulled down. Now, it that, it, that very much depends on whether in 6 to 12 months' time we look back at this and he's kept them up, and they've had a really good season. You look at the impact that Christian Eriksen had at a Brentford, when he went there in January, you know he's a quality player, and Lingard's a quality player. He's a, he's a very good footballer. We shouldn't forget that. Um, for him, I think he could also be looking at this in saying the expectations as at Forest are to stay up this season. He can go there and help him do that. But it's also a team in which he can shine in, and that might give him that bit of an extra push in getting into that England team for the World Cup. You know, if he goes to a team like West maybe Ham, maybe so. you know, it, it could be a bit of that too. He could be looking at a, t- a, 12, a 12-month contract and just looking at the getting into that England team and then making a the decision after that. We'll look Time will tell. But um, I'm, not, I'm not sorry to see him go. I think you touched on a very good point about him being toxic. I think it was quite clear last season that he was a very negative um, influence. And it's not something that... Jesse was, throughout his time at Manchester United, I think he's, he had bad influences around him that want him to, wanted him to make it very clear that he wanted out. And, you know, it beggars belief, Sean, that United didn't cash in last last year. They had the opportunity to do it. And yeah. There was this belief that they were going to keep Jesse around in the squad. And he just didn't feature. Maybe that contributed to him being unhappy, but I can never see eye to eye with a player that's going to behave and cause disruption
1: no no i agree totally but i suppose one thing that struck me there is when you said that you believe forrest have had pants pulled down with this i remember a podcast that we did back during the january transfer window when newcastle were having jesse lingard and one of the things we discussed at the time was that we were we were somewhat pleased that the club weren't just willing to to bend over the club named their price for Jesse Lingard and they were factoring it to Newcastle. This is the valuation that we have on him because he's going to aid you in, like, in obviously negating relegation to the championship. So his worth to you is going to be X amount. And Forrest may well be looking at that because that's what new bargaining in that player to come in, bolster the squad, get gold contributions and be able to help the side avoid relegation. So that's naturally going to be Forrest's number one priority in terms of getting promoted to the league.
0: You picked Jesse to- Lingard to do
1: that? I know it's very easy to say that based on, I suppose, the, the overall all around Jesse Lingard, but all you have to do is just just rewind back to his time at West Ham. And in that situation, when he's not at a at a mega club like Manchester United, where expectation isn't quite as high and he's given the freedom to play football, he's well able to play football. He's He's a very, very talented attacking footballer. And when he's just free and he's allowed to, he's, he's proven that his, his goal contributions speak for themselves.
0: We'll see. We'll definitely see. I think it'll be an interesting one this season because I think it'll be all depend on really whether he gets into that England team. I think that's why he's going to Forest in the first place. Um, but the, the move itself made me laugh because of all the shenanigans that went on with all the Agreed, ref- yeah. references to West Ham and blowing bubbles and how fucking happy he was there. But he ends up rejecting them, um, quite quite laughable. And also, it's quite telling that as a free agent this summer, that the links prior to this confirmation saw Lingard linked to MLS and, and even Saudi Arabia. And there was no serious clubs really interested um, in, in Lingard, even though he was available on a free. So put that in your pipe, Louis, and smoke it. Um <laughs> Eric Ten Hag's strictness, Sean, is another pointer we wanted to discuss because Bruno Fernandes touched on this in an interview with BBC whilst in Melbourne or either Perth, sorry, I'm not too sure. But he touched on it that Ten Hag is very strict on the punctuality of players, being on time for meetings, eating together. They're thinking there's an alcohol ban as well. Bruno Fernandes said something that I I thought was interesting. He said that... This is something that the team has needed for some time. Um, He said there's been too many people maybe going against the rules and getting away with it and no punishments in place, but Ten Hag has a different approach. For instance, we've seen in clips on training that if a team concedes a goal, the team that that conceded it must do push-ups, multiple push-ups. And it's just a, a little punishment. Um, but it's getting in that discipline, Sean. And I'm all for it, but it's still very important in this day and age to have the right balance, right?
1: We, we often speak about the enigma that is Manchester United, and I suppose a lot of this has been created by the great man who, who built the football club into what it is today. Tan Hag looks to be the closest pad to him in the hot seat. You need that sort of dogged strictness, you need that sort of charisma in a manager who's willing and able to to instill rules and to be able to follow through with the ramps if the rules are broken. I mean, Bruno is being very vocal on it. He's, 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 he's pleased and he seems positive with regards to the, the rules and the structure that's been instilled by the manager. And I don't see anything wrong with it. I I mean, like he, I always say that like Texas, the easy, most easily misinterpret a thing in the world. People can read that players will be dropped if late for training or team meetings with, without circumstance. But in, in all honesty if a footballer is on his way to training and, and on the motorway. You know, as long as he gives some sort of phone call through and says, look, I'm stuck here, there's nothing I can do. He's not going to be dropped as long as he is a, he's, he's got reasoning. Like, a lot's been made about the zero tolerance stance that's coming, but text is easily misinterpreted. It's good to have rules, it's good to have structure, and obviously it falls back in what we said about toxicity in the dressing room. We have alleviated quite a lot of that with some of the players that have left the club and we replaced it with a who appears to want to have a giant stick and he's not afraid to use it.
0: I think what's telling, too, is we've had good results on pre-season. Three wins from three. Yeah. Even at that, he's still quite bullish. We've seen the hilarious clip that surfaced online after the last game, a 3 one a win over Crystal Palace. And in the, the final moments... United had the ball back in their half, and the ball went to the hair. They launched the ball forward, gives away possession, and you can hear Ten Hag on, on the touchline. <laughs> David, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah. It, it's just excellent. But, like, this is kind of... He, he, he wants... What he wants from the players, he wants carried out for 90 minutes. And... Why that really impressed me is something that's been a reoccurring team in conversations with Manchester United fans for, for several years, going back to Louis van Gaal, even, maybe even David Moyes, is the, how Manchester United have been incapable of going 90 minutes with a strong performance, of 90 minutes of demands. And I think with this kind of manager, we might eventually start seeing that in times, in games this season. We might actually start to see United dominate for entire games because he is so demanding that even in preseason games, when a goalkeeper is kicking the ball out of a touch, he's losing his mind, losing his mind by just roaring at the player like this. We've had managers in the past that wouldn't have done that in a competitive league game, even if their their job was on the line. Ten Hag is doing it in preseason games.
1: For sure. Um, we, we, in okay.
0: fairness, the big thing is we've gone from utterly backing a manager who we loved, who co- came in, and often spoke about putting smiles back on faces, like that was the yeah. his like that was his job as Manchester United manager. But ultimately, it's much more to that. And what I've been really impressed by, and it's early days, results will speak volumes. What I've been really impressed by was every time that Ten Hag has been, been asked by reporters of, can you compete with City and Liverpool next season? He could shy away, shy away from that question and realistically look at that, his team and say, no, we don't think we could. But he hasn't. Because he, he, what he's telling his players is, I expect to go out, to expect to win every game, win every match. And it's just a different aura around the place. I think his strictness on the players is telling, but the, the aura and the way he's speaking, I, I think he sounds like a Man United manager. I really do. I think he knows what he wants and it's really encouraging so far.
1: But like, you've got to remember as well, this is a guy who has known pretty much nothing but success in his career. It's an entirely different mentality coming into the club. You're looking at David Moyes coming in. What did Moyes win? You know, you got Louis van Gaal, obviously massively decorated manager coming toward the the twilight of what was his very very successful managerial career you know you got Solskjaer there who as you said we loved and we supported and ultimately did a fantastic job settling a very very tempestuous ship that was left behind by Mourinho even though he was very successful in delivering trophies and silverware the damage he caused behind the scenes was there for all to see we've got a guy who's coming to the club now who knows nothing but success He's got a track record in players. He's got a track record in man management. It's almost like little bits and pieces of the best part of all the previous managers amalgamated into one. Like when you looked at Solskjaer, Solskjaer was very, very clear. He left the training to his job as man management. Well, Tan Haig loves man management. He also loves going out onto the pitch and being meticulous in his in, in his approach. You know, we'll take Solshire for another example. People critiqued him because he sat in the stands and he watched on a monitor and he stayed sitting down while other managers were in their arms around the place. Ten Hag is down on the touchline screaming because someone kicks the ball into touch. It seems like it is all of the best parts of the, the, the managers all rolled into one. Now, ultimately, look, it's only pre season, but if we were beaten 4 0 by Liverpool, they'd still be writing about it today. I mean, that Darman Nunes hit a hat trick today for Liverpool in pre season, and it's been glorified across social media by all of these publications. Yet, last week, it was a pre season friendly. So, there is narrative that are constantly going to be portrayed with Manchester United. It's pre-season, the players care, they look happy. There's fluidity in movement. And even though it's pre-season, it looks like there's some bit of structure and the front three are buying in. And it looks very positive and it's all as a result of his managerial skill set. Now, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to lead in with a question here for you. Quite a bit of response and we'd like to thank everybody that takes the time to be able to send in any questions for us. The first question that I have is coming through Twitter from Mr. Keane Franey. Now, Keen is asking what is the biggest difference you both have seen from United since Ten Hag has come in leads on pretty well from what we were talking about.
0: Yeah, I think for me it's been the influence on fullbacks and in how drastic that has been because in recent years through recruitment and even managerial preference we've almost kind of ignored the modern need for well, the need for modern fullbacks. The need for a fullback to get forward, to send crosses in, to to be one of those playmakers, and you look at the likes of City, their their fullbacks operate in the in midfield for most of the game. They don't really operate as fullbacks. You know those players are being trained nearly to to graduate into different positions later on in, in their career and and develop their game an all around game. So I think we're starting to see a bit of that. The likes of Diego Dallo and and Malasia, and Luke Shaw and that have been asked to kind of get further forward, overlap, um, and it's it's encouraging. I I think look, it's going to be challenging for some of these players. I think Luke Shaw is one one I, I would single out that has not impressed one bit on tour. I don't think he's given Eric Ten Hag anything to really hold on to. Um, I don't know will that be damning on him when it comes to the first game of the season against Brighton. But I think at least with Malacia he has a player that it, it was understanding of his system, and I wouldn't be surprised in the next few pre-season games, the the next one against Aston Villa, if we see Malacia start instead of Shaw at left back. Um, for you, for you, Sean, keen wanted to know your difference or the, your main difference that you've noticed as well.
1: I suppose the intensity of this of the site. We've had three pre-season games. We've obviously had a lot of goals. But the one standout thing for me is the overall press that I touched upon a minute ago from the front three. It doesn't seem to be aimless pressing. And that pressing that Gary Neville made mentioned too many, many times where it was just pressing for cameras, there, there appears to be meaningful pressing from the front three. And obviously it was highlighted in the very first game when Martial pressed down and got the goal from it. So it's an intensity, a fast pace and uh, a meaningful press. So I hope to see it continue.
0: Another question in from Twitter, from midfield Mastro. He asks, any updates on the Aaron Wan-Bissaka
1: situation? Um, well, from what I have been told about Aaron wan the situation is very calm in camp. It sort of ascends between him and Diego Dallo, in that Dallo has impressed more in training and has obviously shown massive signs of improvement. There's still areas that he needs to improve on in his game. He's developing quite the relationship on the right wing with um, Jaden Sancho. As a result, Juan Bissaka is, is and was being given an opportunity in training to be able to, I suppose, prove that he can have a role in moving forward. But at the same time, both the club are open and willing to sell him should they receive a suitable offer, which they have not got yet, as best as I know. But Dale, to you, if they were to sell him, do you feel like they could dive in to replace him, or do you feel like there's someone internally there that could make the step in instead of him?
0: Well, this is to fall back on what I think will happen. Um, obviously, we're waiting on that Frankie De Jong deal to, to go through, or depending on whether it will or not. But I, I have a sneaky feeling, Sean, that Eric Ten Hag will ask for a right-back this summer before deadline. Okay. Um, he got we got a left-back. I was quite surprised at the time that he prioritised a left back over a right back, but he's actually made it clear on tour that he sees the the, the left as being the weakness. Um, now I don't think United fans would agree with that from last season, but it's something that he's noticed and he's got a left back in. So I, I just wouldn't be surprised if if, if we did, but maybe Dallo can can impress in the remaining pre season games and get get benefit of doubt. But I do think there'll be a a right back signed i think if 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 they got money for wan bissaka this summer i think that would definitely see a right back come in 100% i think Certainly. united have been quite quite vocal this summer that if they could sell players that it would make money for for further investment in the in transfer window um and what you would see if united could start selling a few players is maybe some of the players that we were linked with earlier this summer might start resurfacing again the likes of Anthony at, at Ajax who who was demanding a, a high fee at the beginning of the summer if united could make some money off some of the players that they currently have uh, and if, then as a result afford Anthony, it would not shock me if they did get involved in some other deals but but as for a right back i think we will sign one i have a sneaky feeling that ten hag will, will ask for one but it might depend on with the young whether United have to agree to pay an extra fee to match those deferred wages for on Barcelona's behalf. Another question in from Facebook from Damian Young: Who can make the grade as a U team graduate this season?
1: Oh, well, this is my forte. You know, you know that. Obviously, I'd like to see Jimmy Garner get a bit of him in pre season. Everybody knows what he has achieved last year with Forrest and. The potential and the skill set that he has is a shame he picked up an injury when he did because I think we would have seen him for at least 30 minutes per game. I think then when you look at the next lot, there's almost a, a trio. You're looking at Hannibal, you're looking at now Charlie Savage and Zidane. I mean, between the three of them, you would have thought prior to pre-season that Hannibal was the one who was closest to it, obviously given the international experience that he's had. There's an awful lot to be said about players playing in the under-23s as opposed to players playing against men. And with Hannibal, obviously, he's had that international experience and now has got the acclaim of being nominated. I believe he got to the last three in the the Young African Player of the Year Award, which is a tremendous achievement for him. So you'd imagine Hannibal is the one, despite how the other two boys have been, that's as close to it. As much as I would like to see um, Zidane and see Charlie uh, get an opportunity, I think they're a little bit away from it and maybe a loan would probably be better for them. Ethan Laird, you know, I've always thought very highly of but it now looks like there's a possibility, Ajaxer, even a possibility. And even if we could get that in the years alone, that would be tremendous for him to go and play 1st team football on a top European side. But to, I suppose, to really dwell on it, who I think is probably there, Jimmy Garner, possibly Hannibal. And I really don't know what's going to happen with Garnaccio. I don't know, is it the case that he's too young or is he going to stick around and be given an opportunity? But I would think that Jimmy Garner and Hannibal are probably the two.
0: Now we are pleased to be joined by the editor of Football Espana, Alan Feely. Alan, I brought you on to speak a bit about obviously Frankie De Jong, and that's the the big story surrounding Manchester United this summer, following the arrival of Eric Ten Hag. But before we get to De Jong, some background, and there's quite some bit to get through with Barcelona at the moment, especially in the past say 12, 12 months or more. Um. So to discuss their financial situation, because from the outside, like it's a complete shambles. Do you believe this, what we are seeing currently, like literally selling all their their future revenue and whatnot and stadium rights or name the stadium rights. Do you think this shows that Barcelona pushed so heavily against UEFA when it came to the Europa Super League? Like they didn't want to let that sword down. Think this shows that they are so reliant on that and they're doing this in order to survive until a Super League does come into existence.
2: I think it's not just Barcelona, though. I think it's all of European football, basically. And to keep pace with Premier League and the skate clubs it's so difficult for traditional powers, like you know, Milan, uh, Internazionale, Juventus, Barcelona, Real Madrid, you know, La league Atletico Madrid. Um, there's just no money there. And the financial system... But the rest of European football, I said, the Premier League is so dire at the moment that they're having to do these things to remain competitive in the short term. Um, and also in Spain, the way it works is that um, presidents are elected. So the presidents are elected based on promises they make, and like in a democracy, they have to fulfill those promises. So, John Laporte's whole thing was like, I want to come back, back, rescue Barcelona, and return Bartomero, to Barcelona, which is down in doldrums, to the elite of the European game. And at Barcelona in the 21st century, that doesn't just mean being at the party. It means being, you know, at the top of the table. It means, you know, winning uh, two Champions Leagues in three years. That's the standard that they've set. And that's the standard that their um, their self-perception is, is that, and that's been embellished by the, you know, explosion in supporters all over the world. I mean, we're talking about the 21st century, the club in the 21st century. It's Barcelona, based on the growth in the developing world and you know, in every far corner of the world, even though they're not won as many championship titles as Real well Madrid, they've not been cons- consistent domestically as Manchester United, or that, not only Manchester City. Um, What you could talk about, a club that captures the world's imagination is Barcelona. For that reason, they're being forced to take these drastic measures because Juan Laporta wants to deliver on his promise, basically. And that's why he's doing what he's doing right now.
0: Alan, would I be wrong in saying that all the incredible work that we know... Barcelona about as an institution, a football institution, developing players from La Masia and so on. Um, All that incredible work that took them to the heights that you're talking about, about winning La Liga season after season with players of their own and developing the likes of even Lionel Messi. But this mess that they find themselves in, am I right in saying that they went completely against the grain of what they, what made them so special, by, maybe maybe not forgetting maybe for not forgetting La Masia, but by signing players that had hit their thirties and players that didn't fit into that Barcelona model that we all recognise.
2: I think that's a logical assessment, for sure. Um, but I think if you look at Barcelona, say from 2003 onwards, with John Laporta was. Um, was, uh, elected the first, and um, the biggest thing he did initially was signing Ronaldinho. Uh, he got elected in the promise of signing David Beckham. Obviously, Beckham went to Madrid at the end from the United. They signed Ronaldinho instead. You know, Ronaldinho won two Ballon d'Ors, 04 05 or 05 or 06. They won two league titles mm. in those years. They won the Champions League in 2006 as well, and um, for the first time since 1982. So that kind of set Barcelona up. For a lot of fans, like for me, I was only 10 years old and that was happening. I was to incredible for me. So I think it kind of captured the imagination of a lot of fans. And then the second element, of course, is when you know, Pep Guardiola took over in 2009, or 2008, sorry, and um, two years after the Champions League win, and brought in, obviously, you know, brought JRPK back from United. Um, we developed the way that Xavi was approaching in the game, and Iniesta as well. Um, changed Messi's diet and everything like that to make him the fast fair, he became. Um, as opposed to having kind of an inconsistent winger. Um, and just brought through other players, you know, I, I mean, obviously Victor Valdez played an important role. It's like Dani Alves from Sevilla. It was a smart move. Um, just the, the, the classic team, in many ways, is bit, built up that image. But the problem is that they won so much during those, eras, during those years, between 2008 and 2012, the Guardiola era. They won two Champions League titles, they won you know League titles, they won Cups, they won everything, they won two Trebles. So basically, those players were constantly renegotiating the contracts with the club, because they held such power, and Barcelona were making so much money, they gave them these huge contracts. So if you look at, like, Sergio Roberto, Jordi Alba, Messi, um, Busquets, Iniesta, Xavi, Kike, um, all these players were on gargantuan contracts. So it made Barcelona's wage bill the biggest in the world. And then when Guardiola left, where they tried to, you know, and reorganize themselves by, you know, hiring the likes of Tata Martino, and then also, you know, it was Enrique, and they won the Champions League again. But this time, they won the Champions League based off MSN, the trident of Lina Messi, Luis Suarez, and Neymar. And Like, obviously, Messi is homegrown, but Luis Suarez and Neymar were bought for millions and millions of euros. And then, after that, because they had lost their essence, you said, it worse and worse, and it wasn't Neymar and, um, Suarez, as as they were saying it was Andre Gomez and you know Yeri Mina and Usman Dembele and uh, Felipe Coutinho, like players of questionable mentality, and questionable quality on Neymar and chavy wages, you could say. But was the solution to folks more in La Masia? I don't think so personally because the La Masia generation that won everything just to win is a free generation. And a lot of Barcelona fans to this day. Look at players in Barça B, like Mickey Marceau, for instance, or Arne, Arne Comas. And they're kind of saying, OK, these guys, are, they should be in the first team. They're good not to be in the first team. Because there's an expectation among elements of the Barcelona fan base that if they're at Barça B, if they're at La Masia product, they're going to be a world leader. Whereas in reality, the majority of La Masia products are service professionals, like any, any academy in the world he had a good reputation but I think it's an oversized reputation based on that freak generation because it was a freak generation I was talking about a Ballon d'Or ceremony with the, the top three people gold silver and bronze for Barcelona La in many ways so the, cla- I think the, that,
0: the class of 92 yeah, the, the class of 92 is similar in the sense that you can't expect to do that every 10 years you can't, you can't keep you can't keep producing that at that level
2: yeah, exactly, and it's harmful because United are similar to Barcelona in many ways. In my opinion, I think that you know both clubs have a powerful mystique and an allure and a very proud history, and they can almost be tripped up by that history in many ways because they make moves based on their history as opposed to based on their presence. So if you look at United's last ten years, like I, I don't tell you guys, but like and compare it to the way Man City and Liverpool operated, it's completely different. And Liverpool were a club who did do that as well in the past because they changed their ways when the new ownership came in and clock came in. And so. I think it's an interesting question. I think history can sometimes be um, a weight around the neck as much as a a positive thing. And everything is the same.
1: I think um, a, a point you touch upon about how there's elected politicians and elected officials that come into the club. That's, I think, a part of a sort of a trifecta with Barcelona from how I view it from the outside. Because you have these officials coming in based on promises and their political ideals and Barcelona are a sort of unique enigma in the Spanish league in terms of how I look at it because their direct rival is the most successful football team in the history of football you have those fans and the continuous debates and arguments that go on between those fans Barca had obviously a club founded in what 1899 126 years ago or something in the 90s where they hit what five six domestic titles in that 10-year period and they managed to get a Champions League their first Champions League like you said, with that sort of freak, sort of crap, La you you're talking about the greatest player of all time, in my opinion. I and mean, in, I know there's a lot of United fans slate me for that, but Messi is the best footballer who's ever played. And and I, and I'll always. I'll, I'll say and um, the 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 way I see it, I mean, you have to appreciate football, don't you? And no one has done it finer than Messi. So like, he's he's in that situation where they've come through that crap. And I think ultimately what I have seen with saying correct me if I'm wrong here now, you have that situation in the 90s where they had that glorious team and they won the, the six domestic titles. And they had the freak like we had in 92, where, as you said, gold, silver and bronze were all youth products. Now, they've come to a situation where that's run out. The well has run dry. And ultimately, they're still playing catch up to Real Madrid. Real Madrid have just gone through a situation where they're supposed to be in a transition year. And they've still managed to win the league in the Champions League. And Barca are playing catch-up and playing second fiddle once more. And despite this insurmountable amount of debt, they've gone into this exponential sort of income to be able to try to keep up with them once more. And ultimately, I feel like it's it's almost like third-time lucky that they're going to try this. And they might very well succeed with the integration of players they've purchased as well as the youth players that are coming through the academy now again.
2: Yeah, perhaps. I think... Their whole ambition really this summer and with their business has been to build teams able to compete with Madrid now. And the funny thing is they actually aren't that far away from Madrid. Like don't forget this, they beat Madrid 4-0 at the Bernabeu in March. that won the, won the Champions League and won La Liga. And obviously we talk about crisis when Barcelona is accurate, but like Barcelona's crisis isn't exactly the same as, like with respect even United's crisis. I mean, they didn't finish 7th. Yeah, like They still finished 2nd. You know what I mean? Like, in, they've gone out and bought you know, the most legal striker in European football. Um, you know, a very, very good winger and a very good centre back, Andreas Christensen, a very good midfielder and Frank Kessie, who's just coming from the winning Milan team. He's underrated, I think, as well. Um, and they're not done yet. You know what I mean? I just talked tonight, even in that after activating the second never, they're going to go and push for a Jew's come So they're improving the team significantly for next season. So I think that, I was talking to some other journalists the other day over a few beers and uh, we were kind of saying, you know, who's your pick for La Liga and it's Barca. To be honest, right now it's Barca because Madrid don't tend to retain titles. Their whole thing is the Champions League and even though Madrid were very successful last season, they didn't dominate games in a positive manner. So while the results were good, the comebacks were dramatic and exciting. They weren't dominating games like a properly elite team does. And they were coming up against opposition that were either undercooked or, you know, distracted. In case of Liverpool, if you look at that Barca team from two thousand nine, two thousand eleven, they came up against you guys know very well one of the best United teams of all time. They beat them twice. So it was very impressive what they did in that year because they dominated the games all the time, basically. Um, but so I think what their whole ambition basically is is to kind of build a team capable of possibly winning the Champions League next season and winning La Liga, and then using the momentum generated from that to get back to where they belong. Because I think the pandemic and the drastic mismanagement of the Bartomeu regime is the primary reason for this. And I think that Laporte, this whole thing, is taking risks now, working in the future now, based on a short-term payoff that will be like a, a rocket to get them back on
1: track. Oh, For sure, for sure. And I agree with that. But then at the same time, you have to look at what Madrid are doing as well and they're a side that have just had success. And while not disregarding the historical factor of an inability to be able to string together sort of multiple domestic titles over the past 20 years, how they're building their squad now is very, very intelligent and the likes of Kamavinga, Tushimane, these young, strong, athletic midfielders who have the capability to come in and dominate games and not only dominate them for a couple of weeks, dominate them for a decade. So they're very, very intelligently looking at the likes of Tony Cruz Luka Modric and they're saying how are we going to replace these guys and they're, they've already done it they have replaced them and they're guys that can come in and dominate this side for a decade
2: Yeah and also I think the plan because Cruz and Modric both expire the contracts at the end of next season I think Cruz has turned down an extension mm-hmm. offer he wants to see how important he is coming into the season but their plan is to go for mean, you know? like, so that's, that's their number yeah. one target they're going to be Liverpool primarily for him and probably other clubs as well um, but you know, we've already seen them go and get too many, you know, ahead of Liverpool. And that was a direct battle. And it's not money either, it's 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 you playing for Real Madrid. So yeah, yeah, they're definitely they've done very well as well. I think both of these teams as opposed to the clubs are in a good position going the new season. Especially if Barca pull off the defensive acquisition position that they need to.
0: Alan, just, just to go through the status of Barcelona this summer with transfers, because at the very beginning we knew about Kessie, we knew about two or three deals that were in the pipeline. Um, those deals, there was problems with those players being registered. Um, and then, all of a sudden, Barcelona can go out and sign Lewandowski for X amount, Rafinha for X amount, and... Um, now there's talk of a second lever being activated. Can you just talk us through some of that? Because to me, and all this ramble through it, and to the listener, this just sounds like a complete circus, I'd imagine.
2: Well, it's definitely intense and crazy. And it's been interesting covering it every day because you know, especially before this line, Lewandowski and Hathenia, there was just chaos going on. So many names being thrown up. Well, one thing to say with the registering thing, that isn't actually a financial issue. That's a, a salary space issue. So it's the way La Liga mandate that wages are allocated, and it's based off of what your income is in that kind of thing. So it's kind of not that they can't afford to register them, it's that they can't find the space. to register That's the primary driving force behind the Frankie Beyond thing. Because Frankie is the clause in his contract when he gets into the four seasons, his contract increases quite significantly for the final two years of his deal. So it he, he goes up, basically. I spent three years of his deal. It goes up a lot. So his wage bill is going to be huge next year. If Barcelona want to get rid of them this summer for, for the same fee they purchased them for, 85 million euros, give or take, they would amortize by writing off the final three years of his deal, 30 million euros in the wage bill. You know what I mean? So it's very significant in that sense there. And that would give them the space to register the other players. But then that's also helped by the activation of the levers. They're hoping to, you know, not do that maybe as much as they could. They've done two. Third one is still on the table. The first one is basically 10% of the TV rights over the next 25 years for La Liga, not Champions League. The second one which was done today was 15. So now you've got 25% of the TV rights for the next 20 years is all sold, basically and like today they just got in 400 million euros for doing that for the second one it was 300 or something for the first one and then if they need to they could pull the third one which will be the sale of you know BLM, Barcelona licensing and merchandising which is going to be a big one it's that 49% of it basically they're bringing a lot of money for that too so yeah I think the timing of today's one seems to be related really to Kunde because Kunde was supposed to not be traveling with the squad today the CVS squad to Portugal for their mini camp, and he's traveled. So apparently, Chelsea are kind of going, Why have you traveled when the deal is in minutes? And the reports in Catalonia, and this is being disputed by people I know in Andalusia, is that he wants to wait for Barcelona. So I don't know what will happen, but yeah, that's the case anyway. It seems to be quite, um, it's like it is, it is like properly like gunslinger stuff, like no doubt about it. Like, like I'm not a financial. Kind of, it's, it's entertaining for me, but like, I mean, I guess Barcelona fans, like, you know, clear thinking Barcelona fans are worried because they don't know if they can afford to do these things. But you know what I'm saying it's kind of a complicated
0: dynamic. So, so, just quickly, so I can just understand this Barcelona are selling lots and lots of future assets, okay, in big bundles for short term signings,
1: yes.
2: Yeah, and they're also, as well, not just that I forgot to mention, they're also basically trimming the fire of the squad as much as they can. So, like, Ferran Jokla, they waived the transfer fee, they just gone to get rid of the salary, basically. Long Lake, gone to Spurs. Um, they basically told Ricky Puj, um Martin Braithwaite, uh, Ricky Pujic, Martin Braithwaite, Néstor Morera, um, is, is Alan is this yeah. being criticised in Spain?
0: Know. Is this being criticised by Spanish media? Because look, you know, I, I understand maybe there might be a belief that Barcelona are in such a bad position right now that they need to do something drastic. You, you, you mentioned to, to to cope with these state-owned clubs, um, and when people ask how do man how how do we cope with state-owned clubs? You know, it being in the Premier League is very, very different than La Liga, obviously, and, and La Liga has a lot of catching up to do. But surely, w- when I put it, break it down to the amount of future assets that are being sold out for short term sign ins, that, that, that must be criticised by sections of, of the media.
2: Whereas the media in Spain, there's no media in Spain, there's two media the Barcelona media and the Madrid media. Okay. So the Madrid media, everything in the past, and on the media, are getting excited and talking about, you know, making up puns for Lewandowski. That's just the way it is. But I wouldn't say it's they're doing it for short-term signings. I think they're doing it for short-term success. I think their thinking is that if they can get them back in a position where they believe they should be after the pandemic, being in the back window, then they'll be able to, you know, get the revenues back to where they were, which is the biggest financial club in the world. Pandemic, they were making more money than any other sporting entity in the world. The I mean? Like so that's that's what they're doing, Is they're basically taking that risk. The alternative would be to, you know, um, go pure La-, La Masia focused, accept being an all star man for the next five years, see the title to Real Madrid, mm-hmm. compete in at Atletico, and yeah, Real Betis, and Valencia for those European places. But well, the reality is the value they lose financially by doing that is so damaging, especially in the era when the Premier League is pulling away more than ever. This is the summer where Aston Villa signed Diego Carlos from Sevilla. Sevilla can't Champions League three years running. You know what I'm saying? Like, this, is, this is what we're dealing with here. Like, that's the financial realities of La Liga. So Barcelona's whole thing is that they want Europe, European Super League to happen. They don't want to be trailing in the Hotspur's way when it does, or if it does. So that, that's why they're taking these risks, because they think that the value they make by having Barcelona be competitive next season and the season after is worth
0: the risk. Lee Mitten alluded to in a, in a report for GQ, I thought it was interesting because he said that Manchester United have no plan B for Frankie de Jong. Because he, and he said he made the point that Barcelona had no plan B when they went for Frankie de Jong because there's no midfielder out there quite like him. So they wanted a Pacific type of midfielder. Why hasn't it gone to plan? Like it should have.
2: It should have, yeah. I saw 10 High's comments after the um, Palace game. He was talking about midfield targets. And he kind of said, we have man in mind. for that back in the number six position. Um, but if we miss out on them, we're not going to go and replace them with some you know, plan B because we've other players who can play there. And I think with Barcelona, the issue is that he's Sergio Busquets playing in that position. And he's just not good enough to take over Sergio Busquets even when Sergio was 32 years of age. He hasn't responded to the duty of having that sitting pivot role at the base of Barcelona's midfield. He's been playing as kind of an interior, as a box to box player. He probably had his best spell with Barcelona, Copa del Rey, in the 2020 21 season under Ronald Koeman. And he scored a lot of really important goals in the second half of the season. And he's actually just as important in that Copa del Rey victory as Leon you know, Messi was. We really had a good period under Cooman because Kuhn knew how to get the best out of it and he gave me a free role, like of thing, working through his strengths. But since then and with the emergence of Gavi, Edry, and Pablo Torre in preseason, Frank Kessie coming in as well, with Bernardo Silva. Um, this is not a place for him in the midfield. He has not nailed down a role in three years. He's been playing different positions. He's been attacking midfielder, boxing box midfielder, interior, kind of a Caralillo, as they say, kind of, a kind of a shuttling midfielder, a sitting midfielder, but he's never made any role his own, like Pedri has, or like Busquets has. So that's basically it. You
1: know? Even we- though
2: he's learned you know, fluent Spanish, he's completely settled in the city, he can't fault his personal application, he's not one. And also, try going on now, but just, it also wasn't helped the year that he came in. He came in as a big Bartomeu era signing, He's a flagship Bartomeu era signing, like Anton Griezmann was. He's associated with that regime and also he's been playing at a really dysfunctional Barcelona. So that's kind of it as well. The way
0: you answered the first question about Frankie's stance, that um, he wants to stay, and then you spoke about more so Barcelona's stance, can that become a problem as this saga drag, drags on could that become more of a wake up call to the young because as of now there's only one route out of barcelona and you you're after mentioning five or six midfielders you can only play so many midfielders is there a, an almost a bit of a feeling that the young won't have a place at barcelona next season so so what why would he stay
2: well that's a bull see this, this is where it gets a bit complicated because basically apparently Chavi has told him that he wants him to stay. He thinks he's a fundamental player for him. And it's financial realities that's forcing more of the club, not sporting realities. And I believe that, I mean, Chavi has that conversation over summer saying, you know, I value the player, but it's the club's regard of sell you because of the financial realities. Chavi doesn't care about wages. Chavi cares about the player. And the truth is that, there is a separation in Barcelona between the club and the team in terms of Xavi has a good relationship with all the players. With Guzman Dembele, for instance, all these kind of players, kind of fringe players, being at odds with the club. And Laporta is taking a different position because he has to. The reality is that Xavi and Laporta are working in tandem, but maybe it's more a good cup, bad cup than People think it is. Maybe Xavi isn't being as genuine as he's purporting to be with De Jong, for instance. Maybe he is working in tandem with Laporte in that sense. That's, I think, why, because Laporte has told, uh, told him that. But then, at the same time, I think, looking at logically the wages he's earning, the money he's cost, the wage base free up by leaving, the money he bring in, I think it makes more sense for us to sell him than keep him That's the options they have in the field. Okay, when he played against Inter-Miami in a friendly in Miami two days ago, he plays as center-back. Maybe that was a message. He's played center back for four for Barcelona. But I don't know. I think that his days are numbered and I think that he'll eventually accept and easily. Um but whether it's to United or to Chelsea.
0: This has happened with a lot of players at Barcelona in the past and it can get quite political and you see then as a result fans turning on these players. Um, has that been the case with Frankie De Young? like how do the fans feel about this because it's a player that the club are trying to push out you mentioned Yavi wants to keep so then as a result I'd imagine that the fans are quite split I
2: think mean, the fans like him generally I think he's well liked like I said he learns Spanish he's a really good uh, person he's using Pastiano in Spanish he loves the city he loves the club and he's you know Dutch he's a midfielder he's elegant He's, in many ways, the archetypical foreigner who comes and lives in Barcelona and settles perfectly in the club. The fans like him. And also, unlike a lot of other players, there's no questions of you know, poor professionalism, or being absolutely useless. Like, I mean, you, it's a Coutinho staying and being just absolutely terrible and then, you know, scoring his camp in the Champions League and putting his fingers in his ears, you know, this kind of thing. Um, Usman Dembele and his questions of professionalism. None of that really at all with Frankie. He's pretty mo- um what's the word. He's kind a model professional in many ways. And I think he's liked by the supporters. So there's no supporters.
0: And finally, how can Barcelona expect De young to walk away when they owe him 17 million euros and not pay him? I know it's not... Due as of now, and it's due at the end of his contract. But if it's something that he deferred, you think out of a kind of a gentleman's agreement that, that would be paid in good gesture. It just, the reason why I'm asking that question is I think a lot of people that are reading this from, from our angle feel Barcelona are being very, very shifty, if I can say that.
2: Yeah, I guess so, and it is obviously in demand, deserves his money, but I guess Barcelona are going is not a it's, it's an either or situation it's either you leave the club now get your move or you don't and you stay and you're not going to really play you're not going to be important I mean like is 17 million euros that much for Frankie he's going to stay at a club where he knows he's not wanted I don't know do you know what I mean I mean like and is it shifty yeah I mean of course it's shifty Barcelona are like I said they're different right they're taking these risks they making these calls that are not ideal and questionable but you know, players in the past been the same to the club like I would say football there's no as loyalty it doesn't exist like in my opinion footballers and football clubs are basically two trains going the same track and when their circumstances are mutually beneficial they stay together but when it's not they're gonna go apart, you know what I'm saying? Like, so it's not a case of club oh, being dissolved to a player, or a player being dissolved to a club. It's just a case of natural circumstances no longer aligning. And while it's unfortunate, unique well, in the way that they've afford the wages and kind of held that back, that's an additional problem. I just can't see him getting the money and leaving. I think he's gonna to have to stay to get the money. I just don't see him staying given the circumstances. I'd be surprised me that.
1: I know that footballers and football clubs are on a different planet to us. We're merely peasants just watching on from far, far away. But there's a situation that's been very, very similar to this with their rivals in recent years and Mr. Garrett Bale, when he was very clearly told that you're deemed surplus to requirements. And he said, well, I have a contract. I don't necessarily need to go anywhere. I can play golf and I can still get paid. And I suppose the biggest thing with it, it's, it's the whole moral side of it. And it's really showing that I mean, surely, surely if it's a situation, I don't know the full contractual ends of this, but if Barca have gone to Frankie like two years ago and said, is there any chance you can defer X amount of your wages and we'll give them back to you at the end? Surely a solicitor looked over it. Surely there was some sort of a contractual agreement that would state if we sell, if we sell you, if your contract is, is null and void, that you're still due the money that you're owed. But it would seem as though that's not the case, But the way, anyway, this is being approached.
2: But it can't be, because if it was, then it'd be legally enforced. Like, it seems to be a gentleman's agreement type thing,
1: which yeah. I think
2: businesses are a dangerous thing to enter in, in the first place.
1: Because I think. It's he, incredibly he, naive.
2: Yeah, it, it is. I mean, like, but at the same time, I understand why he did that because, you know, it's kind of like, like, it is bad. Like, like it's basically, Barcelona came to all the players and kind of said, okay, guys, we've hit the pandemic. We need to try and register new players, We need to try and we have to get rid of Lina Messi take pay cuts to make the club stay alive. like So they were kind of saying, okay, Frankie was probably thinking, I'm going to be here for the next 10 years. I'll do it. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm still making a lot of money. And now the way it's worked out is he surplus the requirements. So it, it must not be contractually obligated or contractually. You know what I'm saying? It yeah, must yeah. Be a gen-
1: which, which Which is in, in this particular situation for that amount of money, I get what you're saying that in the grand scheme of things, that amount of money is, Pocket change to a footballer, but it still seems crazy that it was a gentleman's agreement and a handshake that instilled this particular arrangement. It's just, it's madness. It, it really typifies the entire situation that Barcelona are in at this moment.
0: Must have been arranged yeah. in an Amsterdam cafe or something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I guess,
2: I guess what I'm on to maybe like they said, if you fulfill the contract, you get the wages back. If you don't, you don't. You know what I'm saying? But that could have yeah. been the way to do it. But regarding the. Gareth Bale's comparison, I wouldn't say in a million years, frankly, would you, with Gareth like Listen, Gareth Bale is, you know, is a popular guy, but I think the way he managed his career at Real Madrid is disgrace, frankly. I think the way a bit of an did, enigma, right, wasn't the it? He took the way he talked for those many years while contributing nothing to the team. Let's just say, I don't think it was a coincidence that when he left Real Madrid, very few players posted goodbye messages a day, not one. I'm saying I think he started
0: speaking Spanish yeah, when he went to yeah. MLS,
2: yeah. To Los Angeles, I yeah, yeah. But I think, I think Frankie's a different character, Frankie's competitive, Frankie cares about his career, he cares about his career path. I really like Frankie as a person as well as a player, so I don't but think he's so also in his
1: prime, isn't he? He's also in his prime right now, five years
2: old, 25 years old,
1: yeah, yeah. And he just got engaged,
2: so he's probably like, you know. I'd, ima- I'd
0: imagine with those engagement rings you can't wait to take walks down South for Keys um, Alan thanks so much for joining us on this podcast because you've been on before and it's great to catch up with you in all matters La Liga like I said you're you're renowned now you're you're appearing on CNN and we'll have to get your autograph and and, and so on verified and so on um, so yeah thanks so much for joining us Make sure you subscribe to the Stretty newsletter at stretty.substack.com forward slash welcome. And we'll be back with another podcast at the end of the week. Sports Social Podcast Network.